Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is August 7th, 2022. We're continuing our service with the thought of the week and prayer. And uh, we're going to continue now. Okay, thought of the week. Take it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We have arrived at a verse which further defies the extent of what God has done for us in his in grace. In some ways, I don't think we will fully grasp the understanding of this verse. It has such profound thoughts that I'm sure will be hard to exhaust. Just about every verse in this section contains great truths to ponder such our future is now out for us. When God speaks, we should know that he is not simply providing small talk. God means what he says and will not be telling us to flatter us. He will not tell us things to flatter us. He has said that we understand his will. We need to pay close attention to what the word says. God stands behind his word and will never fail to be true. Some of the things God says are out of this world. We should remember that God is not human, with the exception of the person of Christ who took upon himself human nature. Being said will require that we were simply listen to with humility. We cannot assume we know where he is coming from or where he is going. We must let him take us where he wants us to be. This verse takes me somewhere I have never been, and is not by imagination because it is all right here in the text. Take it from thought of the week. So I will let um, the white give us a prayer, and he will lead us in all directions of truth. Amen. Go ahead, the white. Thank you very much, Dave. I know that there are many, many things to pray about. Um, I would first like to offer an opportunity to state anything specific you would like me to pray about. Yeah, um, my dad tested positive for COVID, so asking for prayer for him. Okay. Excuse me. All right, let us let us bow our heads before God. Excuse me one second, I need a drink of water. Okay. Um so let us bow our heads before God. Dear Father in heaven, your word teaches us over and over again that you care for us. You care about our anxieties. You care about what happens to us in this world. And you even told us and warned us that we will have trouble in this world and the world will hate us. And, and yet those, um, those warnings seem to be something we have to be reminded of just how bad things can get in this world. 
there was all kinds of, of suffering and tests. And, uh, and yet, even amongst that, we are so grateful when we do have blessings in this world. We know that's not the purpose of the church, the calling for the church in this dispensation. Um, but yet, we can be truly grateful for the beauty that we have around us, the love that we share with others, and even the love of Christ that is in us to help us love one another. And I pray you also for those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. I pray um, those who are sick and, and uh, in need of care and, and healing. Father, especially Doug's dad, tested positive for COVID. And I know um, well, firsthand, well, not to myself, but I, I know people who have uh, suffered in, in terrible ways, very, very trying ways in, in terms of diseases and illnesses. And that still goes on today. Um, I would like to pray for those and lift their names up and, and ask you to heal them, Father, and draw them to you. And I would ask that you would uh, pray that you would um, give us open eyes of, uh, of our hearts as we study your word in this word to Christian church online and over the phone call. Um, thankful for the opportunity that we have to do so, even though we're hundreds of miles apart. And I pray also for the church worldwide that your body of that the body of Christ may continue to grow and mature and be focused on what the spirit of truth has to tell us and not to grieve the spirit. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Dwight. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. <clears throat> we are focusing our attention on John seventeen twenty two. We started this last week and we are continuing today. You have notes. So in your notes, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. When a plan comes together, it is a wonderful thing. It reminds me of project management. It is defined as, quote, the use of specific knowledge, skills, tools, techniques to deliver something of value to people, unquote. It comes from the Project Management Institute. <clears throat> While the Father's plan cannot easily be reduced to a project, the principle is the same. The Trinity wanted something that would be of value to them. So they undertook this course of action to forecast, fund, plan, design, execute and deliver something of greatest value to them. More from PMI. <clears throat> Quote, all projects are temporary uh, effort to create value through unique product, service, or result. All projects have a beginning and an end. They have a team, a budget, a schedule, and a set of expectations the team needs to be that that need, the team needs to meet each project project is unique and differs from the routine operations the ongoing activities of an organization because projects reach a conclusion <clears throat> once the goal is achieved unquote that comes from the pmi.org same source the metaphors here are many the more we allow the spirit of truth to reveal the Father's plan to us, the more we see what the members of the Trinity did before the creation of the universe. 
While evolution has no master plan or specific purpose, Father's plan does and is meticulously revealed in the Word of God. So we are dealing with this verse, which I would say is in the category of deep if, or meat. If we were to classify it as milk or intermediate or meat, this would be classified as meat. Hopefully you are following along. If not, well, you know, hopefully the background information and the details are all here so that you can follow. So we, we went through, I won't try to redo everything we talked about last week, but I'll cover some points. I'll just read them without any commentary, at least just to remind you. Just, I'll pick up at point E, 1E. Some thoughts on the glory earned by Christ and given to us. So one, glory speaks of accomplishment and therefore entitlement, as Philippians 2, 8 through 11 is referenced. Two, we cannot fully know all the entitlement due Christ for his completing the Father's will, but we can review the record, and that was Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 and Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. Three, obviously, whatever glory is right and proper for Christ is also due us who are in Christ. Four, glorify me. This is coming from a person, uh, the person of Christ, who accomplished the work. It is obvious to me that the humanity of Christ is now glorified. Four, five, that was four, now five. The person of Christ who walked on this earth was not glorified, and then yet, as we are reviewing what that glorification is. Six, what are the properties of the glorified humanity of Christ? And I gave some of those properties in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 45, really. You could adjust your notes. It should be 45, could be 45 through 49. Then, Seven, glory for Christ speaks of a plan completed. It is our Lord praying for what he knows will follow, the completed work. It is further testimony to the motivation of each member of the Trinity to this glorious end. So those points speak of the glory of Christ. Point F, in our 1F, Jesus says, he has given us glory that he received from the Father, verse 5. Therefore, we can assume that the Father did grant his request for glory. And that is an, it's clearly an assumption that we can make. If Jesus is confident in verse 5 that he will receive glory because he has finished the work, Jesus is also confident that he will grant us this glory, those of us who are in him. There's no doubt about it. Not, a, not only in, is there no doubt in Jesus' mind, there ought not to be any doubt in your mind as well. Point G. The glory we received is from the achievements of Christ. We should note <clears throat> this is not something we have received. It's not something we have earned. Christ earned it. Christ achieved it. 
we receive this glory because of the Father's sovereign grace. And that's Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. 3 and 4. It doesn't say anything about us achieving anything. All we do is are in the place of choosing where God chose us in him before the creation of the world. So you're in a position of glory, not because of who we are or what we have done. We're in a position of glory because the Father chose us to be in Christ before time began. Point H. The Father's plan is about us. Yes, this is the goal of the Trinity, quote, in bringing many sons and daughters <clears throat> to glory. Where are we bringing them to? Glory. That's Hebrews 2.10a. That is the Father's plan. And how do we, how's that accomplished? Mechanically, if we were to say, that would go to Romans 8.29, which says, I think that's the next verse, for those God foreknew, that's the part where he chose us in him before. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's Romans 8.29. And that is the mechanics of how God did it. <clears throat> he, he foreknew us, meaning he, he decided that uh, we were going to be in his plan. Uh, he predestined us. Uh, in this verse, it doesn't say he called, but in the next one it does. It means he marked our lives out so that they would be conformed to the very image of Christ. Point J. And I think this is about where we left off somewhere in here. Point J. This is a quote from uh, Ephesians 7, not John 17:10. <clears throat> All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Wow. So that, to me, is a profound verse. And I think it speaks of how Christ receives glory because of us. Uh, through them, the disciples. But now, since we already passed John 17, 20, we know now, <laughs> we knew before, but we know now that he's not just speaking about them, the disciples alone, but to those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us. That's John 17, 20 and 21. So we know that, that as Christ received glory, and he, he's talking about, I have given them the glory you gave me, this is what he's talking about. There's no doubt about it. So, point K, Christ receiving glory, notice, it depends on the church. Suppose there is no church. Suppose the church never comes to fruition. It never gets off the ground. Christ said, I'm going to, on this rock, I will build my church, but he never did build it. Then the Father's plan could not be reached. Right? Christ would not receive any glory because he maybe he didn't prepare the disciples. Maybe he didn't do the work that was uh, allotted to him to do. It depends on the church. In fact, it says in Ephesians 1.23 that uh, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
So God's vision of Christ includes us. When we say God's vision of Christ, we're talking about the Father's vision from eternity past. When he's when he was planning things, his vision of who Christ would be, it depends on us because we are in him. We are this new creation that God wanted from eternity past. We are those many sons that he has brought to glory. So when it comes to, so this part here, Christ receiving glory depends on the church. However, it is not through any achievement by us. It is all sovereign grace. And if I look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, you saw it, uh, and the work of Christ, right? That's how it is. I think, I, I, I want to read Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, because this is how it's achieved. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Where were we when that happened? We didn't, we weren't here. It's before the creation of the world. There's nothing we could have done about it or said about it. Five, he predestined us. There again, what can we, what can we say about that? Nothing. As for, uh, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, we're adopted as his sons. And we're just, we're, in terms of our sonship, I just have to say this one point. In terms of our sonship, we don't stand under Christ we stand shoulder to shoulder with Christ. So that goes to Romans, and I'll read it after I finish this. Uh, for adoption to sonship with Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 now, if we are children, right, and this is true, Paul is using uh, reasoning, this technique. We, we talked about this debater's technique, right? If the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's a, that's a statement of fact. Now, verse 17, to bolster that statement. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. Wow. So it didn't say we're heirs of Christ. It says that we are heirs of God. Now, of God. Now, why would... It seems like if the work of, of the Spirit on us was not complete, then it might, or, or it just really depends on what God's aim was, what he was after. What he wanted was those bring many sons and daughters. Through Christ, we are sons. And this is what this Romans 8, 15 and 16 is saying, or 17, is that we are children. If we're children, then we're heirs, and then we're heirs of God. So Christ is an heir of God. He's the heir of all things, but so are we. We are in the same position as Christ. We're not under Christ in this, in this verse. We're in the same position as Christ. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, it didn't say co-heirs under Christ. 
co-heirs along with him. This verse confirms that we are, in, in fact, side by side, having, having the inheritance of the complete Father's plan, right, and all that is involved in what he planned for us. Co-heirs with Christ. And then, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So now there's a glory that does depend on our performance in this world, right? Just like Christ had to finish the work that was allotted to him, you have to finish the work that is allotted to you in order for you to share in his sufferings in order that you may also share in his glory. Now, what glory is that? Earthly glory. It's, an, it's also achievement glory, but it is different from the glory that we already said in the other verse. Let's get back to our notes, and we'll, we're going to cover that in more detail as well. So notice, it depends on the work of Christ and the sovereign grace of the Father. That's how we, we get glory. That's how Christ gets glory. Christ doesn't get any glory. If we don't get the glory, the, the objective is that we, that these many sons and daughters are brought to glory. Well, if that doesn't happen, Christ doesn't have the glory to give us because he didn't finish the work and on and on. We could keep talking about this. It's important that we see this. Point two, moving forward, that all, that, that they may be one as we are one. Okay, so this, the whole verse together says, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So the word that in point number two, the first word that is hina. It means in order that, denoting the purpose or the result. Albeit, because to that, to the intent that, lest, so as, or so, that, for, to, right? These are all ways that that word, hina, can be translated. The clear meaning here means because of that, uh, or in order that, right? And it denotes a purpose, a result, right? In other words, this part here where he says I have given them the glory you gave me in order that so that they may be one as we are one right, uh, that's that's the meaning of that word hina that is right here in two it's important for us to make sure we turn the corner and understand that what he just said uh, is important because it hinges on what the second part of this is so point B, we're going to get to the second part for sure. We find no minimizing or marginalizing of the church, his body, the fullness of him in these passages, right? There's none. If we are not glorified with the exact glory given to Christ, then we are not following what the Hina says. We are not one as they are one. So he's given us this glory in order that they may be one as we are one. Who's we? That's Jesus and the Father. 
So the oneness that Jesus, the relationship that Jesus has with the Father is unique. Now, usually when you talk about this relationship and fellowship that Jesus has with the Father, it's usually between like beings. Like how can we have fellowship with God if we're not God? How can we have fellowship with the persons of God if we don't have the same types of per- type of persons that they have? There's something got to be common so that we can have fellowship, whether it's in nature or person. Well, in this case, the shoe fits, right? The church is his body, the fullness. And we look at Christ, who is where, where we're in him. Christ is both God and he's, both, and he's also man. So he's both God and man and one person. And this is what we, we talk about when we talk about the hypostatic union, right? the, the, the uniqueness of who Christ is. And it's demonstrated several ways in Scripture. We saw it last week when we talked about the heavenly man. So this week we're, we're just emphasizing that point. But So when, as we think about the church, there is no um, limiting or marginalizing of who we are. If literally, if we don't get the glory, if Christ does not give us this glory, then that affects the relationship that we have with them, that they may be one as we are one. That's why we need this glory. This glory is part of the uniform that we have, if we were to put it in some physical terms. It's part of what we need to wear in order to have this relationship, this special relationship with the Father and Christ. And the Father doesn't have a human body. So we can't think it is related to humanity or having a human body. And it's just like it says that <clears throat> we don't bear the image of the earthly man. We bear the image of the heavenly man. We, we, we kind of went over that last week. Hopefully, if there are questions on it, please ask. I think it's pretty clear what it's saying, who we are and where we find our identity in Christ. And, and these verses help us, right? This is important. Not It's, it's the exact glory. That's what this is saying. Right? He's, he's saying, basically, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. It, it, impinge, it, it definitely is a part of who we are. We, for, for who we are, we need this glory, to say it another way. We need it in order to have the relationship with the Father and with the Son. Now, if we don't have it, that means the Father's aim was not realized. It's what he wanted from the eternity past. Jesus, that's what Jesus is after, trying to fulfill. So obviously, I think it will, we will get the glory. It is for everyone. Point C, let's get into it. This further says that our identification as believers in this passage, or this age, our identification as believers in this age, has a special glory related to achievement, the achievement of the Father's plan before creation. So there's a special glory. Where Jesus said earlier, Father, give me the glory I had with you before the world began. So the glory that he had with him is not... It's not 
in time, it was before the creation of the world. It's, so it's not in time, this glory. So, so obviously, if this glory had to, uh, it, it depended on Christ finishing the work in time, then <clears throat> what that, that, that tells us is that they planned, right, this is related to the plan of all things before creation. And in that plan, not only did they see it all and every detail in the plan, but they saw the end of the plan, which results in glory. It results in Christ receiving the glory, and it results in us receiving the glory from Christ. So this, so I'm just saying what this is further in point C. This further says that our identification as believers in this age has a special glory related to the achievement of the Father's plan before creation. That's verse 5. This glory is for all and is not to be confused with the glory bestowed as a reward. And that's 817, which I read <clears throat> earlier. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. There's that sovereign glory that he's talking about. There it is. We're heirs of God because of what... That's huge. And then it says we're co-heirs with Christ if indeed we, sh we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what glory is that? That can't be, that can't be the glory um, that Christ is talking about in John 17. That's related to our rewards. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ and it is determined that you have fulfilled the plan. That's what it says. That each man will receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. So that that is clear that some will get it and some will not because it, some won't receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. The glory re related to in the second half of verse 17 of Romans 8 is related to achieving the fulfillment of the Christian way of life, overcoming this world. And overcoming this world there is a glory associated with those rewards that are given for those who are overcomers. But that's battlefield rewards, battlefield victory. Christ earned it. We are able to share that glory if we overcome as well. So, but that does not mean that is not nothing to do with the other. It, it, I wouldn't say it has nothing to do. It is not speaking about the other glory that comes to all of us because of the achievement of Christ that we saw, because of the fulfillment of the Father's plan. Right? That There's a glory all by itself. Now, if you don't see these two glories here, you might mistake it for one for the other. you got to say, oh, well, you might think, oh, i got to achieve what God has already planned from before time began. And where it says that all of them may be one as we are one. That all of them will receive this glory. Christ says, I have given them the glory. No preconditions. They get it. Why? Because we're talking about the Father's plan. But now they're on the ground in Romans 8. And he says, well, Christ says, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. You, you will receive rewards and so forth. 
So verse 18, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our, our present sufferings. Now, what, what about our present sufferings? What do they, what will they give us? What, what, what we know, he just said in the previous verse that our present sufferings will, will be parlayed into us sharing into his glory. Right? That's part of what we can achieve while following the spirit of truth in this world and sanctification and growing up in Christ and coming to the full knowledge of the truth. All of that is a part of suffering in this world and living, allowing Christ to live in us and all that. But he's saying, I considered our present sufferings are not, and what they will bring is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you look at um, 8, 19 through 22, you see that's all of us. It's not some of us. There are no conditions. It's all of us. So that's important for us to know. Because we're going to talk about this glory. <laughs> not to minimize the other from the standpoint of, oh, we shouldn't worry about the other glory, or we shouldn't try to achieve the glory. We shouldn't grow up in Christ. We, sh we shouldn't come to the full knowledge of the truth. None of that is the right attitude. The right attitude is we want to know. We want to lean forward and learn the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that belong to us. We want to understand a persistent understanding about what God has made of us. That's important. Don't, don't look at that sideways. But just know those, that glory of achievement will be part of our rewards. It is, it is something that God will give us, where, but he will give us, give, give us that reward on the battlefield, right? This, well, not just on the battlefield, but, but on earth. They're related to earth, earthly rewards. But Christ is going to reign because of that. And you, according to the seven churches in Revelation, if you overcome, then will I grant that you will sit with me on my throne. You will be part of the administration of this world when Christ reigns in the millennium. And then in the eternal state as well. But there's also this glory. If we were to compare it, if I were to hold them in my hand and, and figure out which one was more weightier, I would say it is what Christ achieved for us. The Father's eternal purpose. He says it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And it's not revealed until the second coming of Christ. So, just to note. Uh, back to our notes. Back to our notes. Uh, point D. We were born in Adam. Dead condemned, sinful, unrighteous due to the work of the Father and Christ we are now identified with the uniquely glorified person of Christ who is in nature God and glorified man so when you think about this this is Philippians 2, 5-11 through 11. okay we're back to this point Philippians 2 Excuse me. <clears throat> 2.5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Wow, interesting. 
we could stop there and think about it, but we're keeping going. We're going to keep going. Uh, verse six: Who, being in very nature God, now wait a minute. I got to say something about verse five. How can we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? How can we? Just think about it. The very next verse says, who, who being in very nature, God. How are we going to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? I'm trying to figure that out. How can, This always bugged me. Right? But there are some things that help us understand this. And we'll get to it. Who, being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Oh, so, so that's the mindset of Christ Jesus when he was here on earth. He understood this. He understood that he was in very nature God on the one hand. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What did he do? Rather... He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, in appearance, as how, how people saw him. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Christ understood that he was here fulfilling a mission. That's what he means by um, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. He understood that he was here for a reason and to fulfill the Father's plan. And that was important to him. So even though he knew who he was, he could have had the wrong attitude about himself. He could have decided, man, you know who I am? Uh, there's that verse in John 1 that says, uh, the world was created by him, but yet the world did not recognize him. So the creator came walking around in this world. The creator came to this world, and people did not recognize who he was. That's what that verse says in John 1. Yeah, that's something to think about. We can't do too much thinking here. we got to keep talking. We <laughs> don't want dead spots. So there, so so what did God do because of the attitude of Christ and his what he did when he was here on earth, how he handled the time that he was here on the earth? How did he think? What was his mindset? Because we are encouraged to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what does it say? Because of Jesus' sacrifice, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name. Now, unless Jesus did what he did, he would not have been exalted to that. When God evaluated his service, he said that we are propitiated, right? The payment for our sins was effective. He said that Christ lived the righteous life before him. This is my son. Listen to him. He's righteous. He's the one, right? And then this, this other part of it, when he evaluated him, he says, well, Christ says he finished the work, right? The, the, where we are in John 17 with the disciples. He did what, and they believed, right? They, all of that, I chose him, I did all that. So because of that, 
Christ has been exalted to the highest place. Gave him a, now, of course, he's talking about the humanity of Christ. And gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's according to his plan. All of that was the work that Christ had to do in order to be exalted to those places. But part of that is Christ had to complete the plan. Otherwise, no one could have been saved. No one if he didn't complete that plan of salvation. And two, he had to complete the plan for the church because then if Christ didn't do what he was supposed to do there, there wouldn't be no church age. And the Father's plan would have been thwarted. It would have been stymied because Christ didn't complete the plan necessary for him to you know, bring forward the church. So it all depends on Christ. The whole thing was on the person of Christ. And I just want to read this last verse. I know it's not in our notes. It's in Ephesians 3. If you study, study this out, this is what you see. Um, <clears throat> here it's in verse 11. Verse 11. And it says, according to his eternal purpose, this is Ephesians 3.11, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Father had the plan, but you have to note that it was all accomplished through Christ. Now, what is the Spirit's job? Is to call these many sons out, to baptize them into Christ, right? To give them the mindset and all of the assets that are necessary for us to have the position we have, but it accomplishes the Father's plan. And it's on the back of Christ Jesus, our Lord. He did it all. He, the salvation plan, he saved all those people who were in Adam and that were lost and that would put, put their faith in him. Even before the cross, as Romans 3.25 says, and after the cross. So, this is according to his eternal purpose. Now, the eternal purpose wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Christ knew about it. Christ talked about it. That's where we are in John 17. And that was also accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's the pattern for all of us. Now that he is who he is, he, the, he's the one that we are being predestined after. All the way the plan works is through the person of Christ, the heavenly man, as we say. So it's important for us to note that, that look at the work. Just, just think about it. Point D is the work that God did to bring us to this place where we are now. Right? Talk about going from the dungeon to the throne like Joseph. We went from, I mean, from Adam in all of these places where we're unrighteous. Not one is righteous. He says, you have all become like snakes. Like you, when you open your mouth to me, it's like a, a dead man's tomb. The stench of death is, is on your lips. The poison of vipers. I, these are things associated with us and who we were in Adam. But God brought the salvation plan. And not only did he bring the salvation plan to those lost in Adam, but... He now takes us out of Adam 
and unites us with the last Adam, that is the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Now we're united to him. This is the relationship we have. So much detail in all of this that I'm saying. So that's point D. What a work. That's what we should be marveling at. What a work God has done for us to bring us to this place. Point E. What are we? If God did all that, what are we? If anyone is, here it is, the quote, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Note that the new creation has come. It was not here until this special work, but it is now. We're here now. We're right here. You can't say that we're not. We're here. That's, a lot of times people have a problem trusting that these things are so. They are. We are the children of God. We are heirs of God. There's no doubt about it. We are a new creation. We might not see that. You might not see it like that, but you've got to trust the word. And then his spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirits. He teaches us this personally, that we are, in fact, children of God. Spirit testifies with our spirit. That's experiential. If you don't get the idea, then God is not saying, he's saying, I will show you who you are in this age. This is real. And so this, when I say, what are we? Well, we're here. The new creation. That means there's Jews on this earth, there's Gentiles, and then there's the church of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, toward the end, 30. 1 through and 32. We are the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We're here, and there's no denying it. There's no going back on this. This is the Father's plan. It won't be any do-overs. It's done. Christ did the work. He has called us. We are in the age that God is calling those sons into glory. We're here. Point F. That we may, in order that we may be one as, that they may be one, they as all of the church age may be one as we are one. The same oneness that Jesus has with the Father is the same oneness that we have. Same. That's what it says. Um, this phrase, this is point F we're in. This phrase identifies the spiritual dynamics of the new creation in Christ which does not exist for anyone outside of this new age. Now, I know, I told you, we talked about this in Q&A, how it might sound arrogant, some of the things we're saying, but you have to follow what the Bible says in order for you to understand what God is telling us. If we don't follow what the Bible says, we don't pay attention to the details then we could marginalize this whole thing and we could say it's all about salvation. If we could just be saved, you know, that's how they look at it. If we could only just get over, if we can cross over Jordan and all these songs that people have, you know, related to salvation, that we could just be saved, we could, we could enter into the gates, into the city, streets of gold and all these things. This is how people see the future. 
But this is not what the Bible is telling us. Look at this new age. This is what God has planned for us. When did he plan it? Before creation. Before time began. This is the wisdom that is destined for our glory. Before time began. It doesn't, it doesn't exist for anyone outside of the boundaries of this new age. Even for the disciples who were right before the church age began, it didn't happen for them. Even though Jesus was telling them what would happen for them, it didn't happen for them until Pentecost. That was the time Jesus was referring to. And when, when Pentecost came, that was the uh, coming of the spirit of truth to this world. It filled all of them and baptized all of them and so forth. So that, that is the uniqueness. Even they didn't have it while they were sitting there talking to Jesus because the age hadn't dawned yet. So Jesus talked about it futuristically. When the Spirit comes, when he comes, this is what he will do. I got much more to say to you, more. but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, then it tells you all the things the Spirit of truth would do. We can define it because Jesus defined it. We're not making this stuff up. We're saying what Jesus said. Point G. Because of our new relationship with the unique oneness and glory, with its unique oneness and glory, we are as he is. This oneness is the result of the five unique ministries from the spirit of truth. Now, obviously, the disciples didn't need the. We talk about common and efficacious grace. The disciples didn't need that because they were already saved. So what are, what are we talking about here? Let's not confuse it with salvation. Let's say what we're talking about. We're talking about the five unique ministries of the Holy Spirit, which makes us who we are in this world. We're not talking about salvation. What are the five unique ministries? It is... The baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the sealing ministry of the Spirit, the gifting ministry of the Spirit, the indwelling ministry of the Spirit. Those five things, all of them are unique and they do specific things for us. It's not all one thing, right? Unless you just want to characterize it in a general way. But they are unique ministries of the Spirit. And this new relationship that God has us where we are one as he is one. That means we are basically like Christ in this world. Positionally, we're already raised and seated with him in the heavenly realms. And we could go on as we have been. Point H. Now, our identification with him knows no boundaries. It knows no boundaries. We share his glory. We already saw that. His relationships. Now, the one, the one thing to note, we'll get to that at the end, right, about glory. I hope you understand that distinction. We share his, his glory. As we've been talking about this whole time, his relationships. We saw that our, our union with him facilitates are now union with the Father. The Father is in us and we're in the Father. That they may be in us. Right? <laughs> it's not just some of us are in him. All of them may be one as we are one. 
and that they may be in us, Jesus says. So relationships, we share his relationships by, by virtue of the fact that we have this union with a special relationship with him. We share his sonship. Because we're sons, he's a son. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Because he's a son and we have this special relationship with the baptism of the Spirit and how that works, we are now baptized into his body. We are part of the new creation, right? His life. God, we're baptized into his person. We share the life of the glorified Christ. Right? And what is the life of the glorified Christ, the heavenly man? That's the life that we have. That's our now. And we also share his identity. Who is he? All things are yours. Well, all things are ours, right? He's the creator. All things were created by him and for him. And, and he is over all things, even the church. But we share his identity as well in all of the areas, all the hats that he wears, his destiny. What the Father planned for him is what the Father planned for us. Right? who are in him, his wisdom. Uh, we talk about the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that not only uh, really speak of the Father's plan, the Father's eternal purpose, what God planned from eternity past. We share his position. Right, Wherever he is raised to, we are raised to. Where it says, it tells us that there are two things, the riches of his in, incomparable grace, that he has in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is Ephesians 1. And it says that power that for us who believe is just like what he did in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the, he ascended into the heavens and far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that can be named, every title, you name it, he's way above, not just above, far above all that. And he's at this unique position. But who's he talking about? He's talking about us. We're in that position. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Right? We receive his fullness. Right? We complete him. Without us, the Father's plan is not complete. That's sort of what we're dealing with in this verse. We can't. The Father's plan will be beat if, if we can't be what God planned for us to be, his divine nature. Look, Peter said straight up, we are sharers together in the divine nature. Now, he just comes right out and says it. I mean, you know, I don't know how you can just say that, Peter. We're sharing the divine nature. But these are all things, like I said, it knows no boundaries. And inheritance. And so it's divine nature and inheritance. And we're not heirs of Christ, we're heirs of God. We share his resurrection and possibly, that's why our lowly bodies will be transformed into what? His glorious body. And possibly, this is the only possibly in all of that, his battlefield rewards. We can possibly share, and you know what the condition is, if we suffer with him, we will share in those battlefield rewards as well. So, point I. Obviously, this goes far beyond our salvation. Now, I have to say that because most people, remember, only think in terms of salvation. That's the, the ceiling for them. You start talking to them, 
the highest they can go, God's highest and best for us, is salvation. That's it. They can't see beyond the highest uh, place in their minds. But that's not what we're talking about. Stuff we're talking about here goes far beyond salvation. But the new creation is like Christ in every respect. Even our resurrection body, here it is, he will transform our lowly bodies, what we look like now, so that they may be, they will be like, notice, his glorious body. So we're going to look like Christ, his glorious body. This doesn't say what kind of body we're going to get. It says everybody is going to get a glorious body. Remember I said there were two glories. And one is far weightier than the other, as according to Paul. One, we can't even compare one with the other. Your achievements are one thing, but don't compare your achievements with the Father's plan. Don't, it doesn't compare at all. So point, um, that's, oh, that's Philippians 3.21b, which we, we actually quoted. J, point J. It says, note, because of the work of God... We are not only one with Christ, but also now one with the Father. And just imagine that. So it'd be one thing if if the Father had a body and then we could all talk about our humanity and how we're all human, but we're on this different level of humanity because we're talking about glorified humanity. And that's the relationship that we have is with someone else who's glorified. No! We have a relationship with the Father. The Father doesn't have humanity at all. So whatever is common between us does not have to do with humanity. But we will say that God has used humanity to achieve the results that he wanted to bring many sons and daughters into glory. He has used humanity, humanity for that. In fact... He's used the entire creation, angelic and human history, to achieve the goal that he wanted to bring many sons of glory. That's how what we can say. Right? So the, it's, it's, this is what it says. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. We're gonna, that's our next verse. We will be attacking next week. Some of our next verse is more to it. But notice that. This is in order that they may be one as we are one. Then he's explaining what that is in the next verse. <laughs> so that they may be brought to complete unity. And we didn't get to this yet, but we're going to take it apart next week. Because that complete unity, I don't like the translation. I don't like it. Because that's not what it says. But this is what people think it means. We'll get to that next week. Point K. We marvel at how complete the work of God is able to save to the uttermost. Right? Hebrews 7.25. We read that and we see the work of God in salvation and how it completely removes the tint of sin, unrighteousness, and all those things that we were in Adam when we were born with, the bad news, right? It completely eradicates that on our behalf when it comes to salvation. 
that's when people talk about, oh, you once saved, always saved. What, what is that? That's, that's a false doctrine. No, it's true doctrine. It's a doctrine that depends on the work of God on our behalf, not on the work of man on behalf of God. It depends on what did God do? Did he completely eliminate sin? Yes. Completely, yes. Propitiated. Satisfied with the work of Christ in our behalf. 1 John 2, 2. Well, but, but what about our righteousness? Did it, does it mean that we have to achieve some sort of righteousness, some standard before God will then save us? No. We're saved because of the work of Christ. The righteousness we receive the moment we put our faith in Christ. The same thing Abraham received. Abraham was righteous by faith when he put his faith in Christ, even way back then. So is God able to save completely to the uttermost? Absolutely. He compl The complete disposal of every sin and the bestowal of that precious righteousness of Christ and it's all grace. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve it. We don't do anything to get it. All we do is put our faith, our trust in Christ. That's it. It is a complete work. We are eternally secure the moment we believe in Christ. That's what the scripture says. If you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you have life in his name. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the moment you do, you're eternally saved. You can never lose your salvation. It didn't depend on you in the first place. Did you not understand that when you put your faith in him? What were you thinking? When you put your faith in him. Were you thinking that you had to follow that up with works? No. It's sa you're saved. Now as a saved person. What does God want me to do? What, what are the works that God requires of me? As a saved person. There are consequences to not doing those works. But the consequences will never be. To lose your salvation. Which was a gift. Point L, that was point K. We must marvel at the work of God on behalf of our sonship. Now, just as we talk about grace and all that, and you lean forward, some people are sitting in their chair like, yeah, I like salvation. I like to talk about it. Yeah, I know. It's wonderful. So I'm saying as well, sit forward in your seat for this new part that we've been talking about. Right? We must also marvel at the work of God on behalf of our sonship. Just as we had to learn about our so great salvation, do not neglect to learn about our eternal calling. If you, forget, if you don't learn about and listen, learning about it is the key to being rewarded when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, learning about it is only half of it, right? I'd say probably three quarters of it. Because you don't just learn about something. When we apprehend this information by faith, faith is transformative. Faith assumes, right? It says not only do we put our trust in it, but it changes us. Now, we have to have the courage to walk in truth, to allow Christ to walk in us in this world. Will we relinquish our hold on this life? Will we say, that we are dead, like it says, and Christ lives in me, like Paul? Or will we continue to firmly hold on to the reins of our lives 
and like it's do it our way and all that. So when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, that will be determined how you handled your eternal calling. Right? But first of all, you cannot neglect it. You can't walk according to what you don't know. If you don't know, you can't walk according to his eternal purpose because you're ignorant of that. So the first objective is to learn about it. Right? So this, let's read this point L again. We must also marvel at the work of God on behalf of our sonship, what this new thing God has created in us. Just as we had to learn about our so great salvation, and we did. We had to learn about sin, atonement, propitiation, righteousness, justification, all the things that relate to salvation. We had to learn about those things in detail. Grace. So it is that we have to learn about these things as well. We can't neglect it. Because we will get to the judgment seat of Christ where we are required to receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. So it is important. Now the first objective is to learn it. Once you learn it, then we have the responsibility to walk in it. Now that's where the whole the spirit of truth comes in. He not only does he give us knowledge and wisdom that is beyond what eyes or ears can see, he gives us power to be able to execute, to, plan, to, to fulfill the plan that the Father has, to order our steps, to give us strength as we are able to live the life that he has planned for us on this earth. And then it really starts in the eternal state as well. It continues, let's put it this way, it continues in the, in the eternal state. We're going to have to wrap things up. Point M. My goal is that they may be... This is a quote from Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Notice the goal. That's important. Now, if, you, if you ask ministers what is it was their goal, if you ask, go around asking different ministers, say, hey... Uh, what, what, what is the ultimate goal that you have? And let's hear what some of the answers are. What are you trying to do from week to week? What is your goal? I love what the Apostle Paul says here. Because it's my goal. I have adopted this as my goal as well. But Paul's goal in this is that, and I'll just let, I'll read it because this is the way he says it. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So that, right? So whatever encouraged in heart and united in love is, we got that Hina word, so that, as a result of that, they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So it's not just about being loving in the human sense and united for the same purpose, right? But whatever that united in, encouraged in heart and united in love is, it is for us to have the full riches of complete understanding. You have to be committed. Love is a commitment. It, it is the desire that it is the desire of your heart for yourself, not just because God told you to do it. <clears throat> because that's what you want to. 
full riches of complete understanding. Note, if it said the full riches of gold and silver, people would be like, whoa! But people think it's gold and silver now. So, they probably look at these verses a little different than I do. But I'm saying the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures. Notice how he's relating this to things that perk our attention up, right? Treasures, right? Treasures, of, but notice, of wisdom and knowledge. Full riches of complete understanding. I'm not saying understand. Really, should I raise my voice when it comes to understanding? I should raise my voice when it comes to wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because that's the goal. That's the goal. And why did... So now you get to see why he gave us the spirit of truth. So that we can fulfill this goal along with them. The goal is that this is for us. This is my goal as well as the apostles' goal. I've adopted this as my goal, that you have this, that we talk about these things to the extent that you learn them, you understand them, that they become part of who you are, because that is who you are. And you just don't realize it until you get this. So thank God for what he was able to do through the word of truth. The word, the word is truth. And what he's able to do through the spirit of truth that is in each one of us to bring us to this complete knowledge and wisdom. I don't have to tell you about what this knowledge and wisdom is about, do I? No, I don't. You can just read the context. That would be good. Because that will send you to, your, to your Bibles to see what in the world is Paul talking about. So we're going to have to close at this point. I know we're over our time, so we're going to end. But we just want to thank you, and we're going to thank the Father in prayer as we go to him as we speak. Thank you, Father. The calling we have received is, is unfolding. We thank you for the revelation of the mystery. We thank you that you have made these things available to us. And we couldn't have been in a place where we are, can know these things unless you chose us to be here at this particular time. So our hearts are overflowing with gratitude as we think about the call that we have. Who you, what you have made us. Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. We pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened. We may know the hope which, to which we are called. We thank you, Father, for all the statements that you have said about us that we cannot ignore, but that we must think about, ponder, understand that you have done a marvelous thing and we are the recipients. So we thank you. Not only that, we thank you for our so great salvation which uh, in and of itself is 
a marvelous thing. But, but we have more, Father. You give more grace on top of that. So thank you for so much uh, that you have given us, and we pray that we will walk worthy of the calling we have received. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.